Hello, I'm Michael O'Toole, Crown Correspondent with The Star. Welcome to another episode of The Star's special podcast series focusing on the trial of Jerry the Monk Hutch. As you may know by now, Mr Hutch is on trial at the Non-Jury Special Criminal Court in Dublin. There he is charged with murdering David Byrne at the Regency Airport Hotel in the city on the 5th of February 2016. That is a charge he denies. Two men are on trial alongside Mr Hutch. Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy are not charged with the murder of David Byrne. Instead, they are accused of helping a crime gang carry out the murder by providing it with cars. Like Mr Hutch, they deny the charge and all three are currently on trial. This is now the fourth week of the trial and joining me to go through some rather interesting days of evidence is the Star's chief reporter, Paul Healy. Hello, Paul. How's it going, Mick? Grant, so uh, some of the evidence we've heard over the last four weeks has been quite procedural and some people, despite our best efforts to liven it up, might call it a bit dull, but I don't think anybody could call the last two days of evidence dull or boring. Yeah, well, I mean, this week has just been extraordinary. Um, there's been so many twists and turns in this trial. We don't know what's going to come up every day. We've been saying that a couple of times now, that, that every day in this trial, uh, we go in and we don't expect uh, exactly what we're going to hear next. Um, but we've heard some very key evidence in relation to a tracking device that was on a vehicle being driven by Jonathan Dowdall. Now, it had been teased that there was potentially a tracking device on this vehicle, but it wasn't confirmed. However, that's now being confirmed that there was indeed a tracking device placed on a Land Cruiser that was being driven by Jonathan Dowdall uh, in February of 2016 and at, at, at certain stages allegedly contained uh, the accused man, Jerry Hutch, as well. So we've now learned that this tracking device, uh, basically we have been hearing about how the Gardaí uh, came to place this tracking device, how they got permission to put this uh, onto the vehicle. And this is where the controversy has stirred up. And this is all about the the shadowy group within the Garda Siakana called the National Surveillance Unit, whose job is to carry out undercover uh, monitoring and surveillance operations. And the court has heard that around the 16th of February 2016, so 11 days after the attack in the Regency in which David Byrne was shot dead, a senior Garda from the National Surveillance Unit was given permission to uh, get a tracker fitted to Jonathan Dowdall's car. Yes, well, yesterday we heard the evidence of retired Detective Superintendent William Johnson. Uh, he was previously the head of the NSU. And and he um, spoke about getting the approval to get this tracking device uh, placed on, on the 16th of February, as you mentioned. Um, so it w- they also got author- authorization for a recording device, an audio device, separately on the 17th uh, of February as well, 2016. And they did so on the grounds, um, they said that uh, they had intelligence that Jonathan Dowdall met uh, with a member of the Real IRA in Derry in January, so just before uh, the Regency Hotel incident. Um, they, the guards also had intel that Jonathan Dowdall was meeting with Jerry Hutch and that he'd met with jo- uh, Jerry Hutch on the, on the 12th of February. And this is what I think is particularly interesting. And again, this is this is a piece of controversial evidence that was heard this week. It was stated that, that Gardy believed at the time um, that basically that this was a, a meeting uh, of, of a criminal organization, of a criminal gang uh, it, it made up with Jerry Hutch and Jonathan Dowdall, and that they were perhaps conspiring in relation to carrying out criminal activities. Now, what's controversial it just this is this is just my opinion. This is not the opinion of the judges. It's up to the judges to make their own decision. But we've already heard 
um, that Jonathan Dowdall, in his own case, uh, it has been stated that the guards do not believe he's a member uh, of, of any organised criminal gang and that he perhaps was being used. Um, but here we're hearing evidence of, at least at this period in time, that the Gardaí believed that he may have been involved in an organised crime group. So that's kind of a, a, a piece of information that contradicts what we've already heard. One of the interesting aspects, Paul, we know that the court heard that when the Gardaí fitted the tracking device to Jonathan Dowdell's car, they were authorised by the senior, I think it was a super detective superintendent in the Garda National Surveillance Unit, uh, authorised a then detective inspector to fit the tracking device. But that was on the 16th of February. But on the 17th of February, the, the detective inspector, Kieran Hoy, as he was then, I believe he went to the district court because they wanted to fit a surveillance, a bug, effectively. And it just goes to show you the difference is a tracking device can be authorised by a senior guard. But if you want to fit a surveillance device that listens uh, to conversations, you have to go to the judge. They had to persuade a judge. That officer had to persuade a judge that they should be allowed to fit the surveillance device to the car. So there's a different standard of uh, maybe, maybe evidence or, or proof there. Yeah, and all those reasons that I mentioned uh, in relation to the organised crime gang and the alleged meet-up between Jerry Hutch and Jonathan Dowdall, these are the reasonings that uh, that the retired member at the time operating would have put before the court uh, in order to get authorisation for that device. Um so we learned that the device was fitted, but in the process of learning about that, uh, it, he was cross-examined by the, by the defence, uh, by Brendan Grehan, uh, senior counsel for Mr. Hutch. And it was in this that we discovered the bombshell information that there are no records uh, available in relation to this tracking device, that the Gardaí have destroyed those records and that they no longer exist. And Brendan Grehan said that he only found out about this information in the last number of days and that the, now the defence and the prosecution have no access to any of this documentation because these records have been destroyed. Um, and that is something that we've heard happened while Mr. Hutch was already on a uh, charge with the offence and facing trial. So this information was completely destroyed and, and, and now we don't know what's in them. So that's how we got to where we are today in relation to the evidence of 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 the of his now superior detective inspector Kieran Hoey, and uh, now detective superintendent Kieran Hoey, who's now the new head of the of the National Surveillance Unit. Was he the officer who directed and decided that the tracking device records should be destroyed? He was, and that, that that so that is why he was called. So Brendan Gretton said he needed to hear from from Mr. Hoey because he was the individual who authorised the destruction of these records. So uh, that's that's the evidence that we heard today from Kieran Hoey, uh, who, who, was the, who was now the former head of the NSU. And he got up onto the stand and gave his reasoning as to why those records were destroyed. So he said um, that he didn't believe that these records would be used in the prosecution uh, when he ordered uh, their destruction. And he said that he acted in good faith um, and and that he destroyed those records on the understanding of 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 the national of the of the surveillance act two thousand and nine. Um, we could get into the nitty gritty of the law, but essentially there is a provision there under the law that records can be destroyed, uh, wherein they're not going to uh, affect a court case. You might be able to speak a little bit more about that, Mick. Yeah. So the, 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 uh, we had a cursory non-legal uh, expert look at it last night, and it does say that records should be kept for three years, but then they can be destroyed on the proviso that they won't, you know, uh, be won't be needed for any ongoing court case. Now, in the face of it. 
there is an ongoing court case and these, as we know, these records were destroyed after Mr Hutch had been charged with the murder of David Byrne. So that's obviously something that is going to be hammered out in court. But I think Superintendent Hoey, he gave an explanation as to why he thought they weren't relevant because he essentially what he was saying was, look, these are merely records. There, there is going to be direct evidence and there has been and there will be direct evidence from detectives from the National Surveillance Unit and there will also be CCTV evidence. So his belief was, and I think it's, it's probably his honestly held belief, was that the, the, the records that he destroyed were not going to be used as evidence and I think he mentioned that they weren't even in the in the book of evidence. So really the direct evidence was going to be from the NSU detectives who saw the things with their own eyes. Yeah, but I, what I think is extraordinary, this is just my opinion again, um, uh, but the, the now retired superintendent, he did tell the trial that he didn't consult the investigating team, the team that were investigating the murder of David Byrne prior to destroying these records. And he didn't consult the DPP, uh, the Director of Public Prosecutions, uh, bef- before uh, authorizing the destruction of those records. Um, he made this decision uh, on his own. He did so acting in good faith, as he said. Um, but as a result of that, there is material there now that the defense say, they cannot examine. And this is a crucial part of the case against Jerry Hutch. It's important to emphasize that, that this tracking device and this listening device that's on this vehicle forms a huge part of the prosecution's case against Jerry Hutch. And we've already seen um, some arguments in relation to the legality of this device being on the vehicle and when it was in Northern Ireland, for example. And now we're getting into a, a, a new contested issue as to, well, why were records destroyed? And, and why did this one individual make this decision for these records to be destroyed without consulting the investigating team or the DPP? So it's a huge issue uh, and a bombshell development, really, in the case so far. Yes, now, he did, I think he did give evidence that he consulted his a senior officer to him, who would be the assistant commissioner who is in charge of crime and security, which is the, it's really the intelligence arm of the Garda Síochána, and that includes the National Surveillance Unit. So the, the assistant commissioner, Orla McPartland, uh, essentially gave permission for or rubber stamped the plan for these records to be destroyed. So I understand that she is going to be called to give evidence for her rationale and I think that's going to take place early next week. Yeah, so again, I keep using the word extraordinary, but it is extraordinary now that an assistant commissioner within Angarda Shiakana is now going to be called to give evidence in the trial. Um, that's not something that anybody saw coming, but it's something that's going to be necessary as we because as we've heard today, as you've just mentioned, she rubber stamped uh, that decision to have those records destroyed. Um, so she, that's Assistant C- uh, Commissioner uh, of Crime and Security, Orla McPartland. So she's going to be giving evidence, as you said, Mick, on Monday. And that, that's set to be very interesting because she'll have to give out her reasoning as to why she rubber stamped that decision. And it, And of course, it's... As as, we, as I keep on saying, and we, we you keep on saying, it, it's up to the judges to decide all this. But we're we're discussing the evidence, and and as and again, there's no jury in this trial, so we are allowed to give analysis, and that's why we're doing this pod because there is a certain freedom. If there had been a jury, there would be a, a real lights out uh, sort of thing. So there there are you know it, it, there are fewer restrictions, I suppose, and it does give us a chance to contextualize and to analyze what's going on. Just well, I might just mention one thing. Just at the start of the trial, Sean Galan, senior counsel for the state, did say in his opening that the seventh of March is a crucial time because that is the state alleges that there was a conversation between jo- Jonathan Dowdle and Jerry Hutch, I think on the way up to the north, and the state alleges 
that there were various things that were caught on the, that audio device on that bug effectively one was the redundancy was was touched on one was the Kenan and Hutch feud and another was efforts to try and get a ceasefire between the two warring parties so this I mean really you're right Paul it is bombshell evidence the, the surveillance evidence and the tracking evidence is really vital to the state's case and this really is a biggie what has been happening the last two days and what will happen on Monday. Yeah, I mean, we're really getting into the nitty gritty now. But one thing, a point I kind of just wanted to make, uh, it's just a thought that's come, come into my head now, is that I suppose people are reading and hearing about um, the intricacies of a Garda investigation in this trial. And I mean, that's we're getting information that normally the public would not be privy to as to the nature of a, of a, of a Garda investigation, but in particular, a surveillance operation. And that's not something we as a public are used to hearing about. So the guards are coming under a level of scrutiny uh, in relation to how they've carried out a very sensitive organisation for the first time. So I think people are taking to social media and they've formed a view, uh, which we're not forming a view on this. We are just giving information on the trial. But people have formed a view and they they've, you know, criticized the guards in relation to how they might have handled this case but i think you're, you're we're still hearing this case in pockets pockets of information as to how the investigation like we're get, we're going down to the nitty-gritty down to the to the bone as to how this investigation was carried out that's the job of the trial of the prosecution and the defense to 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 scrutinize down to the bone, as I said, the the nature of this case. So I would maybe just caution people as to rushing to judgment, so to speak, um, as to the guilt or the innocence of Mr. Hutch or the role of the Gardaí in the investigation. There's still a hell of a lot more evidence to come. Yes, and look, I mean, there's lots of things to say. Obviously, the guards said in the stand, Detective Superintendent Hoey, he acted in good faith. So, you know, and... Assistant Commissioner McPartland will give evidence in good faith. So that's, you know, you're right. You're, you're perfectly right, Paul. It's, you know, it's up to the judges. But even, and, and I fully agree with what you're saying. I mean, this must be very uncomfortable for Guardian involved in the intelligence world. I mean, my nickname for the crime security and the NSU is the funny fellas, because you never see them. They operate in the shadows and now they're having to come out. And, you know, it, it must be very hard for the, the corporate guard for the practices or the the trade craft I suppose and that's one of the things that the guards are protect you know not willing to talk about claiming privilege because they say what well, if we give information about how the the, the 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 tracker was fitted or when it was fitted for example that could affect the guard of trade craft and that's something they're extremely sensitive about so you know it is coming out of the shadows and I can imagine corporately for Angarda Shikon it's a very uncomfortable thing for the NSU to be put in the spotlight because they live outside the spotlight the whole time. And and again in particular the defence are going to scrutinise uh, the actions of the Gardaí. That's why we are hearing at the moment a lot of criticism of the Garda investigation because that is the job of the defence to scrutinise and that's what we're currently hearing. But, you know, it'll be interesting to hear the evidence of the Assistant Commissioner on Monday uh, and in the weeks that follow, I do wonder when it's all contextualised and put together, um, I think maybe that's the time for people to form a view. I think it's very early to form any view and, and also... We're not a jury in this. We're simply observing a trial. Um, it's up to the judges in the end of the day. There are three judges here and they will make a decision. But can't state it enough. There are many weeks left to go. 
yes, it, you know, it's almost like a game of tennis. One serves the volume, one returns, and your head goes that way, and then it goes that way because you're looking, oh my God, look at this, and then, oh, what about this? So you're right, the judges have the best helicopter view, and they'll be the ones, the three judges, it's a no, no, no jury trial, and they'll be the ones to have all the evidence to make all, and make all the judgments and all the decisions. And, and as much as we had bombshells this week, unexpectedly, there, there, there is going to be hopefully some very interesting uh, evidence heard next week. I think it's been indicated that we may start to hear some of the the tapes, some of the recordings uh, that Gardy obtained from this uh, listening device that they had on the Land Cruiser, the, the Toyota Land Cruiser being driven by Jonathan Dowdall and containing allegedly Jerry Hutch um, and, and their meetings up in the north. And as you've mentioned, some of the items that are uh, discussed in this conversation in relation to the Regency Hotel incident, the Kinahan cartel, um, and, and about peace talks, uh, alleged um, you know, uh, actions by Jerry Hutch to, to try and broker some sort of peace in the Kinahan Hutch field. Of course, we know that that didn't come about, but it's fascinating that that's, that's what was going on uh, at, that, at that period in time. And if and when that audio evidence allegedly of Mr. Hutch and Mr. Dowdall is heard. I don't know, will it be played or will there be transcripts read out? I, I don't know. I mean, from experience, I mean, I've, yeah, so it could be whatever, but either way, it will be total box office. So I know, I know you've had, as we were saying in the last pod, you've had messages from people trying to get in. I've had messages. I think there'll be an awful lot of people try, of, of civvies, as we call them, trying to get in in those days. Absolutely. And the interest in the case is just increasing day by day, um, and we haven't got to the meat and bones of the of the evidence against Jerry Hutch yet. We've heard a lot of the evidence in relation to Paul Murphy and Jason Bonney, um, but we're we're still very much in a, in a form of of legal argument here in relation to uh, and scrutiny and criticism of, of by the defence of how the guards have handled the case. Um, but but there's still so much left to come. Um, so just apart from the trial, we we like to kind of discuss some of the stories that come out. Um, around the trial and you know this, as we keep saying the Kinahan Hutch feud uh, stories continue to emerge from it every day and on the Kinahan side of things uh, Mick had a very good story this week uh, in relation to Daniel Kinahan and his movements at the moment and I understand uh, Mick your sources are telling you that, that Kinahan has fled Dubai Yes we, you know, this is a story we touched on and you're, you're totally right Paul this this trial is part of a wider picture and the wider picture is not necessarily about what Jerry Hutch is alleged to have done. It's part of a wider picture and that is the Kenna and Hutch feud. And as we know, it, up to 18 men have died as a result of that feud. The most dangerous feud, I would say, a gangland feud, I would say, in, in Irish history. So there are plenty of other issues going on in the background. And one we know, obviously, Daniel Kenna and his father, Christopher uh, Christie, and his brother Christie have all been sanctioned by America. And we know that there, there are fa- uh, rewards of $5 million on each of their heads. They were living in Dubai. There have been... And see, this is, you know, we, we mentioned there the, the NSU and about how they w- live and work in the shadows. In a sense, crime journalism is like that as well, because an, an awful lot of stuff we do is is in the shadows as well. And it's, you know, sometimes you're groping in the dark for it. And one of the things that everybody's focusing on really is where is Daniel Kennan, because we know that his bank accounts were frozen in, in Dubai after the... Dubai sanctioned Kenin, the Kenins after America did so it, it's all up in the air and it is chaotic so one of the things I mean a few months ago we wrote that he'd fled Dubai and there have been reports and we've been digging into them that he has gone to Qatar which is it's six hours away from Dubai but it's a land border and it's not in the UAE but it's it's its own state and it's you know quite easy for them to get to and 
you know, there, there, there is a belief, a groundswell of opinion now that he is either in Qatar or he is using that as a base uh, to get away from Dubai because he's he's in the doo doo there. Now, the reason why it's interesting and contextualised now is on Sunday, as every football fan know, the World Cup starts. So Qatar has been absolutely hockeyed for its LGBTQIA tr- people treatment, for its human rights, uh, its re- regressive human rights machine. You know, we know that, I mean, I was even looking today that there was a a Danish TV crew were threatened with having their camera broken and, and uh, Qatari, Qatar cops coming over and started acting up with him. So it seems to be a very re- regressive and repressive country. So we, we know all the, the problems with gay rights and, and, and that sort of thing. Another hammer blow for them, even alcohol. People, fans can't even drink alcohol in most places. So now, you know, to add to their woes and their, their reputational woes, th- there is a belief that Daniel Kinnahan is there now. Whether or not he's going to go to any games, we don't know. He's probably trying to keep his head down. But there is a very strong suspicion that he is in Qatar at the moment trying to get away from Dubai and you know trying to get a, a refuge whether he stays there he uses that as a bolt hole to move somewhere else there may be a belief that he might try and go to parts of Eastern Asia or, or, or Southern Asia but look he is he is in trouble he is a wanted man and you know the latest suggestion would be that he is in Qatar which is uh, next door to Dubai. Yeah, and we've learned that at the same time that that allegedly his father, Christy Kinahan Sr., uh, was attempting to uh, start up a new life in Ethiopia or certainly um, was operating business from there, which just shows you the the reach of the Kinahan cartel, really, doesn't it? Yeah, and when you think about it, I mean, there was an international report, there was an international federation of journalists who were involved, and there were Malawi journalists and various things. Zimbabwe was mentioned trying to buy... The Kenan allegedly wanted to buy planes from the Egyptian Air Force, so it, it does show a scope. But you got to remember, the Kenan gang, gang probably isn't the right word. They're a cartel, and they've got assets of one billion euro, and that's an awful lot of shekels. That's an awful lot of money. So they are very, very big players. So look, we're talking about them here in Dublin, but they have an international reach, and I don't think you know that really should be forgotten about. They are huge players in, on the world stage. Absolutely, but having said that, they've never they've never been under more pressure uh, from the authorities, in particular, uh, having having the thumb of of the United States of America on them. It must must be quite um, pressurizing. Um, I mean, we know there's there's a five million dollar reward for information in relation to them that will bring to their prosecution, um, that will lead to their prosecution. So, I mean, uh, whatever about the Irish authorities looking that for them. I mean, there's only a certain amount of scope that our authorities can to, can operate under, but to have the Americans after them um, is next level. It's a total game changer. Look, Ireland, it's a, we're a small country. We probably punch above our weight internationally, but see when the Americans become involved, it's a different ball game. So, you know, I think the Kenyans are under serious pressure. But will we leave it there for today? And hopefully we'll have another pod in a few days after... Uh, Assistant Commissioner McPartland's evidence in the Jerry Hutch murder trial. Yeah, we would have did. Thanks very much. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Shattered Lives. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, feel free to listen to our back catalogue. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your pods. This series is produced by Kieran Bradley and is a production for Reach.